Hello, everybody, and welcome to this week's episode of RealCom Live. Um, we are going to be continuing a theme, a theme that seems to be taking us into the fall pretty strong, and that's artificial intelligence and the impact uh, on the built environment. And it, once you start digging into this, again, I, I just repeat um, from last week, our journey started in 2016, when we introduced AI on our general session stage with Cade Metz, who was at the competition for the Go Championship where AI platform beat the Korean Go champion. So that's 2016, that'd be what, seven years ago. All the way up to the conference this year where AI was in a number of sessions and then the conversation right after the conference got this AI advisory group together, trying to unpack this and make it easy to understand what is going on in, in AI in general, and specifically in the built environment. So the last couple of weeks, few weeks, we've been having conversations on um, uh, AI, and this week is no different. Um, we've got two really smart people, uh, Josh Pankin, Director of Real Estate and AI Research, AI Research and Innovation at Columbia, and then Johan Poyer, uh, Lead Data Scientist for RxR. So Columbia, you know, a, a very, very uh, well-established uh, university, got a stellar reputation, always at the cutting edge, you know, in Manhattan, access to some really smart people. And uh, RxR, uh, you know, leading the way, taking chances, uh, taking risks, trying to figure this stuff out. And we're going to start uh, with trying to unpack, you know, the realities of AI in the industry. And then uh, we're going to be a little critical, you know, which is important. We, everything is not rosy. Uh, every new technology come out has its, its, its bumpy road. Um, but by the end of this conversation, hopefully you'll have a little better idea on the practical side of implementing AI inside of a real estate company. So let's bring on Josh and Johan and uh, get this conversation started. Guys, how are you? Good. Hi, Jim. How are you? Good, good to see you. Today. It, it, I mean, it's kind of funny because this is kind of the extension of the conversation we had in the green room. And we've, we've had now two conversations and you know, I think we've got probably an hour in getting ready for this uh, podcast. And um it seems that every time we talk, I have more questions than answers. Um, but, but I, you know, having been at this for a while, you know, going on thirty plus years now, I am starting to see some similarities. And I, I think Josh, you're seeing them as well. Yoan, you're a little, you're you're the young youngster on the call, so we're going to learn from you. Your cutting edge ideas and technologies, you know, sitting at that keyboard, and you're going to hear from the cranky old guy at some point about I've seen this this story before. And Josh, you're probably right in the middle. Uh, I think so you I, just called me old, Jim. No, I was calling myself old. So, uh, <laughs> you're you're in the middle. Uh, it feels like it. I think I think we've got three generations represented, or at least three different age groups, which is good. Which I think is the answer to this question because more young people need to hear that we've been down that road before, and more of us old folks need to say, "Well, this is different." And okay, show me how. So, conversation is good. Debate is good. Uh, I love debate. I, I actually think if there's people who disagree a little bit, that you get closer to the answer than if everybody just nods their head. So before we get started, I'd like to always start with context. So Josh, give us a little bit of your journey, uh, how you got to where you are, and then, you know, how come AI? What got you, pulled you into the AI conversation? So I spent about 15 years in real estate. My last job was at Deutsche Bank. So if you've seen the big short, I worked for the guy who replaced Ryan Gosling's character in the movie. We were trading secondary CMBS. That's really got me into the technical side is there was so much data, so much information, so many decisions that had to be made more quickly than you could do manually effectively. So we started building systems there and I left Deutsche after that, was hired at Columbia to run a research center. I've been there for six years. I moved to the engineering school about four years ago. 
And the, the AI journey here has been more about how we use, how we use data, how we use mathematics. AI is mathematics. I, I joke that if every time you hear the term AI, replace it with the word math and you have the same thing, statistics, linear algebra, calculus. So we, we take those that, that data, we take those quantitative models and approaches we blend it with how the industry works. So it's, what are we trying to do? What problems does the industry have? What are some capabilities that we could use these approaches and these techniques to make sense of vastly more data than humans can make sense of, get better insights, understand the markets better and make better decisions going forward. Yeah. And, and you know, that com comment on um, the big short is not lost on me because to me, the data was there leading up to that not a lot of people were reading and interpreting the data like you were. I wasn't doing the sophisticated models you were, but I was using an Excel or a, an access database query group and sorting and, and saw that thing coming like a freight train, like a freight train, right? And, and, and obviously you were part of a team, which I told you we're going to have some Saturday morning meetups online and, and we're going to chat about that because the lessons learned there are important for people like Johan, who's a little bit younger, to understand why the signs were there and, and the data was there, very much an AI conversation, whether it's a spreadsheet or AI, you had to know where to find the data and you had to know what questions to ask and not be afraid when you saw the answers. Uh, and so I think I think there are some parallels. Um, Yoan, how about you? What Tell us your journey and how you got to RxR and then in the seat of uh, AI lead research. Sure. So I've actually been in industry for only three years, so quite recently. So before that, I spent five years in the insurance industry. So I started my career actually at AIG. I worked on like a lot of different um, AI related projects. One of my first projects was IoT related. Uh, the idea was to um, kind of to build like a smart vest for uh, workers on construction sites uh, to um, basically to like uh, make sure they don't slip and fall or they're gon not going to hurt their back. Uh, studying, you know, like um, IMU data from uh, from smartphones. I've actually, actually also worked on projects, on NLP related projects. Um, one pretty interesting project was to uh, classify attorney uh, uh, client privilege information from claims notes. Um, and the goal was to actually properly filter all this data that we actually had at AIG. And um, after AIG, I actually joined Blackboard, which is, uh, it was a joint venture between AIG and, uh, and Two Sigma. And one of the phases behind the creation of this joint venture was actually pretty interesting. Uh, insurance has suffered a lot, uh, like real estate, I guess, um, in the sense that it was not ready to actually, you know, use um, AI or use data. Uh, there's a lot of like different systems used by very old insurance firm. And the idea behind Blackboard was to actually start from scratch. Essentially, with the legacy data that AIG had, it was almost impossible to build something that was like usable for for proper analytics. Um, so that's quite interesting. Yeah. If 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 I had access to somebody's uh, grocery receipts for thirty years, could I predict longevity? Um, I that's an interesting one. Um, probably, um, probably, maybe not perfectly, but I think it, it would shed some light on a situation. De definitely. Uh, there was a few projects by the way at AIG that were kind of close to that. Um, anyway, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna develop on that, but, uh, right. yeah, these are like the kind of like interesting things. Da that... 
data when you when when it's well organized and and has a great deal of volume you you can tell the future i believe that i've done that a couple of times in my career it's really now all it, about yeah and i think we're going to talk a lot about that but it's a lot about the actual yeah the data the integrity the of data. data yeah exactly so before we get to some more of the specifics i just like you know guys take 30 seconds how is our industry doing regarding ai how would you rank us josh i mean you know you've worked in other industries johan you as well how are we doing you know with ai relatively new to this you know conversation how are we doing so far uh, uh not well i would say not well can you elaborate a little on i, I see a lot of activity in the industry focused on outcomes how do i get to this outcome how do i get to another outcome uh, meaning subscribing to some service or investing in some service rather than focusing on the fundamentals of collecting data, building pipelines, automating that process. Real estate is unique in, in many ways. There are, there are qualitative issues, like the, the quality of a view out of an apartment has a major weight on the value of that. There are things that are very unique to real estate that don't exist in other industries that make real estate much more difficult to use that data. For, for example, the data is very important, but having data that accurately represents the nature of the problem you're trying to solve is more important. You can have a lot of data. One of my colleagues from NYU says real estate has data that's broad, but not deep. We have a little bit of information on everything, but we don't have a lot of information on anything. And it's very similar to taking a person and saying, well, you know, your age and, and height, so we can tell everything else about you. It doesn't work that way. If you get into a lot more details about that person, then you can tell more and more as you go through. And in real estate, we simply don't have that. And I, don't, I haven't seen a, a, a strong motivation to go about the process of collecting that data, identifying what data is needed for each of those use cases, and then collecting and being able to use that data down the road. Hold that thought for one second, because as soon as Johan gives us his assessment of our industry, I'm gonna I'm gonna go back to this data point you just made. Uh, yeah, sure. So I would say we're a bit behind. Uh, I'm gonna compare, you know, like uh, real estate uh, with uh, banking or finance and, and insurance because I'm a bit familiar with those, and also it's kind of like they are very like similar industries. But I would say we're a bit behind. But when you look at banking and insurance, for instance, where they were able to actually use AI is mostly on the consumer or retail side of it. Why? Because they have just like so like so much more data to be able to use. So if you look at banking, for instance, they're able to do like fraud detections, like a lot of actual applications, or even you know like default loan uh, prediction, uh, loan default predictions. Uh, sorry. So these kind of things are actively used right now but because we have they have actually like a lot of data uh, for this um in real estate in general it's like much harder if you look at commercial real estate think about a lease for instance like a lease is 5 10 15 years long right you by by um by structure by the, the way it's built you can't have a lot of data um, it's a bit better in the on the residential side because you have you know like a lease cycle of about a year, so you can collect more data, but you're still kind of restricted um, by that kind of uh, of life cycle of whatever you're looking at. Um, mm -hmm. So we're a bit behind, but we we're definitely getting there. We're trying to um, uh, we're trying to put efforts. There are definitely more and more efforts uh, on the prop tech side um, to uh, to actually use AI uh, the right way in the real estate industry. So this wasn't one of the points we talked about in prep, but your, the conversation just made me think of it. 
the data is owned in many cases in the real estate industry by some of the main solution providers. Okay. So like on the enterprise side, you know, the back office stuff, we've got accounting, lease administration, property management, big companies in that space. And on the smart building, you know, infrastructure side, the HVAC, the lighting, the again, vendors. So is it fair to say that one of the big data sets that we do have, the voluminous good data is inside systems on both the enterprise and the smart building side that we or you as building owners may not be able to get access to because that data resides you know, inside these other vendor systems and they're not going to give you access to that raw data. Josh, has that conversation come up at all in your world? Yeah, we've had quite a few conversations with companies who said we can't provide you data because we're under NDA not to share the data for our our tenants or our clients, right. uh, which is the, the legal and the privacy issues are major concerns there, but also just the proprietary issues. Real estate sees much of their data as being proprietary. And it what that does is it shrinks down the amount of data that you have, the ability to analyze when you don't have a lot of data, especially for, to get technical, but for high dimensional problems, you need the higher the number of dimensions you're looking at, the more data you need. And real estate is a very high dimensional problem, but we, we have very few observations that we can use in that, that analysis. So it, it makes it very difficult. And to Yuan's point, and we talked about this before we got on, that AI has been very successful in certain use cases, but not successful at all in other use cases. Some of them have not even been addressed with AI if they have been addressed not effectively. It's really about choosing, understanding the kind of problem you're trying to solve, understanding the information you have available and understanding the, the modeling techniques that you have available to solve that problem. When you choose those effectively, it's like a hammer. A hammer is great if you wanna drive a nail on the wall, but it's not great if you wanna install a window or change a light bulb. You have many other tools for that. A carpenter has many other tools to do what they need to do. And real estate focuses on AI for the same models, the same techniques, for every problem and it, it can't be that way. You have to identify the problems that are effectively solved. And then some problems are not viable. Technically, we don't have the information. We don't have the data. They're very qualitative and that leads to a probabilistic variance that is just too wide to make any decisions off of. These kinds of technical concepts need to be understood by the industry because those are the things that help you decide what tools are available to solve which problems and alternatively, what problems can be solved with the capabilities that we have. There are, and we talked about it again, that there are a lot of people talking about these big utopian outcomes and robots taking our jobs and all of these things that are just not realistic given the current capabilities that we have. It creates FOMO, it creates unrealistic expectations. And we simply don't have the ability to do many of those things given the nature yeah. of the day. We're gonna, after the break, we're gonna, I, I wanna get to a couple use case questions, but I, I do wanna spend, leave a couple minutes for the FOMO conversation, cause I think it's important, I really do. Um, Johan, you know, you're inside the firm, you're responsible to bring all this magic to bear. You got big vendors out there you're working with, you know, doing your accounting and your, you know, all your building automation stuff. How good are, are you able to get to their data and pull it out and apply some AI tools that they may not be thinking about? Or do you have to rely on those vendors, those solution providers, to come up with the magic with AI? Yeah, it's a very um, yeah, it's a very interesting question. I would say I don't have any issues accessing the data. Again, that's something we put some efforts there, but the the issue is not so much on accessing the data, is two things. It's actually having 
the, the, the data integrity that you want, the data accuracy that you want, um, and then being able to use this data, right? So for instance, let me give you like a couple of examples, right? So when I started at RxL, we started like thinking about uh, the, the use cases, right? This is the way it should be, right? I think this is Josh mentioned that, but you don't think about like how to use a technology for, and then think about the use cases. So we go see the businesses and we're like, okay, um, what are your challenges? What are you trying to achieve? And then we're trying, you know, like we basically like pulling the data. The data can be extremely messy. There's a lot of like cleaning to do. And then, um, and then eventually we build a model that can, you know, solve. Um, so it can be a model or it can be something else that kind of like solve that challenge. But there are two problems. And actually, this is what we what we lived at the when I started our Excel is that we made we made two mistakes there. The first mistake is essentially to try to build a solution without thinking about how to deliver the data. That's really about delivering the data. And I think this is a very important part of it. The second important part is the, the, the way to actually rely on this data. You actually clean the data and structure it for one specific solution. But the problem is that our business team, they didn't even have a way to actually pull simple things as like, such as occupancy as a specific date for a specific building. Right. So we were like focusing on the wrong things. So we were like, okay, we need to take a step back. And what we're gonna do is that we're gonna focus on the focus on the engineering part, the data engineering part of it. So we have a lot of vendors. And what we did is that we're gonna work with the business units and think of what we actually want. What is the actual data layer that we want? Don't think about the raw data. Of course, we need the raw build this, but then we're gonna build what we call the data lake, which is actually like a centralized database where we have all the information that RxR business needs. We run that. We have actually like a very complex uh, data pipeline that runs uh, that runs daily, actually nightly, and that calculates 300, 400 metrics and KPIs for residential buildings every day. Things that actually the business units, so operations, leasing, actually using every day. And once we have that, we're able to build on top of it. Descriptive layers or such thing as applications, as well as more complex AR models. Let, let me ask a, a, a quick specific question, then we're going to take a break. If you could get access to your accounting solution providers data and, and, and grab 10 years of collections information, could you apply uh, uh, an insight against that data that says, who pays their bills faster and more consistently? Lawyers, accountants? I mean, based on a tenant type, I mean, can you get access to that data? And could you tell me who pays their their rent the fastest or the most effective, uh, you know, over the last 10 years? Correct, Jim. And the, the answer is simple. Is like, yes, okay. uh, we can. And we can do that in a very diligent way, right? Again, you're talking about who and the question of who, uh, you know, uh, requires to ask different questions about compliance, for instance. And we're able to deal with that. We actually have processes in place that anonymize data that do not bring PII's um, into the equations or into like the data layer. So we have or we already have structures that allow us to do that at an aggregated level. We make sure we work with compliance lawyer in order to make sure that whatever we're doing is actually compliant with any law exactly. that exists. 
it, 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 this feels like, you know, you're going fishing, you know, the, 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 the ocean's got a lot of different types of fish. And before you leave that shore, you got to figure out what fish you're going after and what baits you're going to need to take with you. Because I could see spending a lot of time, energy and money on these projects and, and getting frustrated because there's a lot of brick walls. So, um, all right, let's take a, a, a quick break to hear from one of our sponsors. And then when we come back, we're going to get into some case studies that are, are popping up as uh, top of the list. All right, let's get back to this great conversation and try to dig in a little bit more on the realities of how AI is impacting our industry. So let's let's try to get specific for the next few minutes and just talk about the use cases. All right, Josh, we'll start with you. Give me the top three, just the, the ones that were you know, easy picking, floated to the top, you know, no brainers, even if your data is not perfect. What are you seeing as some of the first go-to applications uh, in AI that the built environment should consider? Uh, as we discussed before the call, the things that we work on at Columbia are, are more strategic, what I would say. There are a lot of things that are basic automation, moving data around, uh, basic descriptive statistics, and that's not what we do. What, the things that we see that have the highest value add are taking the data that's out there, taking the, the information, the economic time series, economic information, real estate information, and using these models to make much better sense of them than we ever could before. If you look at some charts, we have one that we use as an example, there's like 40 different time series. These are all economic time series, pieces of economic information that are relevant to how the market moves and how the economy moves. And it looks like a, a kindergartner's drawing that has absolutely no rhyme or reason to it. But we use models to make sense of that, to tease it out. What are the relationships? What are the correlations? What are the causations? And what's driving the economy? How is it moving up and down? Where are we? What are some risk factors? It, so that, those are the biggest use cases that I see is taking some of these concepts that we deal with in real estate that have a, a lot of data, too much data for the human brain to process by itself and make better sense of those so that we can understand the market better, ask better questions, and then make better decisions on top of that. So, for example, could you look at and analyze, let's say, collection performance by borough? Okay. Uh, and so to tell an investor, yeah, this might appear to be a good investment, but in this particular area, you're going to have collections issues. I mean, is that is that the kind of strategic insight that you could pull out of large data sets? Well, actually, the project that we're working on with RXR is neighborhood analysis. And I showed the, the map for a few seconds before the call. When you look at, and I think you can look at any city, different neighborhoods move differently. Some neighborhoods improve at, at certain times faster than other neighborhoods. As an investor, if you can identify those neighborhoods that are going to improve at different periods and move those investments around, it, the yield that you can get from those investments is going to be significantly higher than if you invest in a market that is more mature, more stable. Okay. There's risk to that, so you have to be able to identify that risk. but. We think we can quantify that. We're using building permits, 311 calls, transportation information. And, and what we've been working on for a few semesters now is collecting Yelp information and analyzing that to look at how businesses are changing from one month to the next, even down to details, like are their reviews changing? There's a number of reviews that they're getting increasing or decreasing over a specific time period. And there's lots of literature, lots of research that has, have shown that Yelp is a business information for a certain area is a great early indicator of changes in that neighborhood. Right. So we're using that and we're saying, how can we identify neighborhoods? How can we take neighborhoods that have 
changed in the past or zip codes that have changed, that have grown faster relative to other neighborhoods and quantify the reasons for that and look at all of the neighborhoods that that has happened with, quantify those and then look for those early indicators and quantify which neighborhoods in the future are going to grow on top of that. Johan, could you use uh, um, Google Street View? Now we'll throw the visual AI tools into this mix and drive down a street and determine whether or not that storefront has been painted in the last three years or determine if that is a neighborhood in, in uh, of decline or a neighborhood that's improving? Is it that powerful? I would say, um, as of right now, no. Uh, this is not something that I would be able to do. Uh, um, again, uh, we need to look into that, but that would be definitely like a lot. Of, it would require a lot of efforts to be able to do something like that. Well, again, you have to think that this kind of things needs to be Again, does is there somewhere you know an actual uh, database of like Google Street Views that label this kind of specific things? Uh, if that exists, maybe if millions of of these images have been labeled, then you probably can have that. But in that case, we're talking about computer vision. Training a model is not something that will ever do at Alexa. We don't uh, we don't claim to be able to do that. Uh, there are actual uh, tech firms out there that have massive GPUs on that they can use. It is something that costs a lot of money and yeah. they train their model. We would never train a model um, using, you know, like a large uh, bank of images. Point. We, have, we haven't even talked about the compute power to do these incredibly sophisticated things that will either, you know, there will people have access to that in the real estate industry has never been on the leading edge of having access to that type of technology. So that's another factor. Real quick, before we go on to the next question, what's the number one use case where you've had some relative success at RxR? Um, oh, at RxR specifically. Yeah. Um, so as I said, I think we, I think it's gonna be more into like, and I think that still belong to AI, but we're still working on like a lot of like different predictive models. Again, we, dis we discussed about the deliverability of that. But we're still working on that. I think where we had the most success is actually in the prescriptive side of it, uh, in the sense that now that we uh, that we have this data calculated every single day, we can basically um, we ba can basically help our uh, business units by giving them recommendations and bringing specific alerts, something that they use every single day. So, for instance instead of surfacing the data and telling them, hey, occupancy is that, we're going to basically say, be careful, occupancy has dropped by 5%. There's something you need to do with that. This is probably where we are right now. And we on the we actually on our way to, um, to add a lot more predictive analytics on top of this platform. But we have the fundamentals that has been built. And this is where the, the a lot of the work has been put into. So uh, I, I knew we would go over, which we did. Uh, that's okay. We are out of time, but I want to ask you one final question. Uh, we kind of talked about this a little bit before we started. Uh, Josh, World Series, as it relates to AI in the built environment, what game, what inning? On the more strategic applications, I'd say first game, second inning. Very, very early in that process. Okay. Johan? Uh, yeah, I would say second game for sure. Basically, a lot, uh, a lot of efforts have been put by um, in prop tech in general. Uh, now we have a lot of startups that are actually able to help different landlords by helping them centralize their data. 
So in terms of data engineering, I think we've done a lot of efforts. So not only RxR, but there's a lot of like uh, companies out there that are actually focusing on that. So this is do why for me, it's definitely a second, a second game. Do, in, in, do you have a lot of peers? I mean, true data scientists in other real estate companies. I mean, is there a community of you now or are you an anomaly? Uh, no, there, there is definitely like in the prop tech. So for instance, you can, you know, BTS, Cherry, Rionomi, there are like all these. But those are vendors. Companies. Those are solution providers. How about those in the, are, in the real estate? Vendors. In, oh no, in actual real estate, I might be an anomaly. Yes. You're an anomaly. Uh, this is why we are actually strong as a company. Not only we actually building, you know, like technology, we have the assets to test this technology. We have the data yeah. already. The prop tech startups, if I want to start, if I want to create a startup right now, I would need clients in order like to start building anything. That's extremely hard. Uh, this is why we actually, I, I think we're doing great as a company. I My answer would be second game, seventh inning, stretch. We were moving along, but we need to take a little pause and stretch because of the financial and, and, and you know, leasing problems we're having in the industry. There's a bit of a pause because I think we got some fundamental real estate issues that we're dealing with that probably will slow down this momentum a little bit because, you know, we got to figure out how to get people back in the buildings and, and get this these debt issues resolved. So I'll go second, maybe second inning or second game, seventh inning. So, guys, uh, you are two very smart people. Uh, you feel, you know, part of our, you know, the community that we've been trying to get organized now for 25 years. It is so good to have young, fresh minds on these topics. Love sharing with you. I don't want to be the old stodgy guy in the room always complaining, but it, it is nice to have, you know, really smart people like you part of this conversation and helping us figure out not just AI, but all technology and, and the true impact into the built environment. And not the we didn't get to the FOMO conversation, which we're, I think we're going to have another episode just on that because I think that's that's a conversation worth having, not just what it is, where it is, why it's there, but try to quantify the impacts that FOMO has on our industry, both positive and negative. So oh, to guys, that, Jim, I would just say that the FOMO should be for the companies that are doing what RxR is doing, having people like Johan spend three years, now, at least three years now, developing good data foundations. That's what the FOMO should be about, not the startup side. Absolutely. Totally. A thousand percent agree, unless you've got some fundamental structure. Um, you got to be real careful on, on whose story you're listening to. Absolutely. Guys, thank you so much. Hope you have a good rest of your day and a great weekend. And we'll be back because this AI conversation is not going away. Thank you very much. Thank, thank you, you for having me. All right. With that, let's bring on uh, one of my favorite parts of the show, our news. I think we got Nancy filling in this week. Lisa and Howard were busy out uh, on the road. And um, we said, let's give them a little break. They've been working hard flying around. And uh, Nancy said, I'll stand up and do it. So, Nance, I'll get out of your way and uh, tell stand us what happened this week. Uh, <laughs> Happy to fill in for Howard this week, Jim. Thanks for having me. Here's a quick recap of a few of the articles from our weekly news brief, which is published every Thursday morning. If you aren't receiving it in your inbox, click the news link at the top of our website to read the latest issue and to sign up. Our lead story this week comes from RealCom senior writer Tina Danielson on smart building vision and design. In it, Tina discusses how smart building projects offer a spectrum of technologies to enhance user experiences and deliver value to owners and occupants. The article features four great case studies, including one Congress 
a million square foot office tower in Boston that prioritizes wellness, sustainability, and luxury. Its cutting edge technology and world-class amenities have led it to lead platinum certification. Next, Marriott's corporate headquarters in Bethesda, Maryland, where they have leveraged smart building technology for connectivity and collaboration. The Indeed Tower in Austin, a 36-story building that provides a mixture of technology and aesthetics to meet the ever-changing challenges of the workplace. And lastly, the Fairmont Royal York Hotel in Toronto, where electrification and energy efficiency upgrades are decarbonizing a historic landmark. These projects showcase the integration of tech and sustainability to create cutting-edge, user-friendly real estate spaces. The article, article includes much more about each project, so be sure to put it on your reading list for this week. Next article, Closing the Gap Between Business Problem and Tech Solution in the Age of AI. That comes from our tech partner, Predict AP. It highlights the challenges real estate companies face when attempting to leverage AI and reinforces the importance of defining clear business problems before diving into AI initiatives. The article suggests that companies leverage their industry expertise to identify targeted modular solutions that can address specific challenges while leaving complex AI projects to the professionals. This approach can help bridge the gap between business problem and AI solution while enforcing a focus on what matters most, the business itself. And lastly, for the shopping enthusiasts out there, a bit of good news. Malls aren't going away. Enabled by technology, they're becoming modern community cornerstones. To revitalize shopping malls, developers are reimagining them to include medical offices, apartment units, recreational spaces, and more importantly, advanced technology features such as high-speed fiber internet for improved customer experience. The article points out the importance of integrating the technology from the start to better enhance efficiency, data-driven insights, and sustainability initiatives. We're seeing the start of a new era where traditional malls embrace innovation, evolve into modern lifestyle centers, and adapt to changing consumer preferences. For the malls of the future, technology is key to ensuring that their, their longevity and economic resilience. And that's a wrap, Jim, of this week's top stories from the Realcom News Brief. And, and you know, that last story is such an incredible point. We've been kind of saying for years, big and dumb is out. You know, think of the traditional department store and, and you know, walking in and not being able to find your, the clothes because there was no technology, there was no automation. And small and smart is in, meaning smaller spaces. I think what you can see with those malls are people coming in and saying, I don't need 100,000, I need 50, but that 50 is going to be incredibly impactful, well-organized, efficient, you know, mm -hmm. immersive, engaging experiences. And for those who've got a little bit of vision, I think, um, you know, coming out of this current real estate you know, kind of slump we're in right now, uh, I, I think there's incredible opportunities, you know, incredible. Yeah. So thank you for the right. news. Uh, appreciate thank it. You. Great job. Right. So great before we, um, we wrap, let's hear from our final sponsor and I'll talk about next week a little bit. All right. Next week's topic. Um, we don't have one. Uh, we're actually in the, uh, working on getting our speaker confirmed and uh, it's going to be a great topic. We know, but too early to, uh, to give name and company, but uh, we're excited to continue this conversation and if it's not about AI, it's going to be about another real estate technology conversation that is at the cutting edge of uh, what's happening in our industry right now. So with that, I hope you all have a great day, rest of your day, great weekend, and we will see you next week on Realcom Live. Be well.